Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number five of the New Era Canucks podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Ben. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, a little better than the Canucks are doing now that they're officially eliminated from the NHL postseason contention, but I'm doing pretty well, and I'm excited to talk some Canucks hockey with you here today. So, yeah, like you mentioned, um, Canucks getting eliminated from the playoffs mathematically. I think me and you both, or not even me and you, pretty much everyone saw that coming uh, for the past couple of weeks now. And they were, they're almost winning at this point to just keep our hopes up. But I think everybody at the end of the day, they knew that the Canucks weren't going to make the playoffs. And now it's official. They will not be in the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs and I think I saw somewhere that it was the first time that five out of six years in the Canucks history have they missed the playoffs and yeah it's a it's a dark time for Canucks hockey right now yeah first time in franchise history that they've gone through such a lean streak of a few years and I mean it's all under the same general manager and he's still as of this point going to be in that seat next year so you have to start thinking about whether fire Benning is something that's actually worthwhile rather than just a social media trend. But yeah, the Canucks miss out on the playoffs. Sure. They weren't dealt a very nice deck of cards this season. Of course, COVID came into their team. They had to shut down a while. And I think everybody sort of thought that when the Canucks came back from COVID, that it was very unlikely that they were going to do anything and credit to them. They made it exciting for another five or six days uh, in two or three games. They, they gave, Sports talk radio hosts, some hope that maybe the Canucks could make the playoffs if they were to win enough games. Of course, they didn't, and COVID eventually did sort of catch up to them and the fatigue that they went through. But I, I am proud of the Canucks to see what they've done and to come back from this. I mean, the team wasn't good. It's wor- it's a worse team than it was heading into the bubble last season. Uh, sans Tanev, Sands, uh, Markstrom, like now without Jordy Ben, like there's a whole bunch of players who just aren't there and not contributing because they're not on the ice. Um, so I think at the outlook of the season, it was a, a worse team. And the North Division wasn't as easy as some people sort of hoped. Like even you look at the Senators, who the Canucks dominated most of the season, the Senators were a fine hockey team in that last stretch of games where the Canucks sort of had to win all four. When they started playing their kids and it wasn't just an Erica Branson and an Artem Zub on the back end, suddenly the the Senators are an okay hockey team. Of course, you have the Maple Leafs, you have, uh, and they're at another level, and then you have the Habs, and they sort of found uh, a newfound hope, uh, partly because of Tyler Toffoli. Um, and the Canucks just sort of, they didn't improve in the offseason, and it showed they they just weren't up to snuff in this North Division. I think in a Pacific Division, it might have been a different story. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- this season was definitely a an asterisk uh, beside it. Uh, everything that happens, you know, the President's Trophy winner, they're going to have an asterisk beside it. Last year's Stanley Cup winner, Tampa Bay, they had an asterisk beside that, and I think this year's going to be a lot of the same too. So, obviously, you you can take into you obviously have to take into this year into effect of what they can do next year. But at the same time, like you said too, with the North Division being probably the best division this year uh, with not everybody expecting that with Connor McDavid scoring and making the NHL look like he's playing peewee hockey and Austin Matthews out there playing on rookie mode. You know, the, the North division was definitely a surprise this year. And I, I think the Canucks thought that they maybe could have had a chance because just they had their guys get experience in the playoffs last year and they just couldn't put that into play this year. 
Well, I mean, what are you going to do without Elias Pettersson for a third of the season? Maybe he comes back and he plays a few games if the Canucks are sort of in the middle of a playoff race and they're trying to make the playoffs. Maybe you push Elias Pettersson back then. But what are you going to do without your best player? You lose a whole bunch of players in the offseason to a divisional rival who you end up splitting most of the games with. What are you looking for? I mean, it was pretty certain that the Canucks weren't going to make the playoffs at the beginning of the year, at least from my point of view. I mean, there were a lot of people who said, yeah, maybe the Canucks can squeak in in, in third or fourth in the North Division. But you look at the other rosters, and everybody was so low on Edmonton, for example. You can't be low on a team that has the best player in the world. Connor McDavid has been unbelievable this year. And for the people who say that he wouldn't have tore up the league if it wasn't a regular Pacific division. Well, no, he would have, because instead of tearing up the Ottawa senators and the Canucks, he would have tore up the Canucks, the ducks, the Kings, the sharks, like Connor McDavid can put a team on his back and make the playoffs. And that's exactly what he's done this year with the Oilers and with the way he's playing, maybe the Oilers can actually do some damage in the playoffs. But the Canucks, they just they don't have that difference maker. Their difference maker has been out for a third of the season in Elias Pettersson. So you take a look at the roster, you take a look at just what's going on this season. And even before COVID, there wasn't much hope that the Canucks could do something and make the playoffs, let alone do something in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you you also look at too, like just how many players and how many key players and how those players look to be on different teams this offseason. Obviously, the biggest one being Tyler Toffoli. He's up there top top 10, maybe even top five in goals, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you even look at what the season could have been if we even just got one of those players back, if we got Toffoli back, if we got Tanov back on a, a friendly looking contract for the Canucks and for the expansion draft coming up here in the next couple months. But yeah, you, you talk about difference makers and the Canucks, like you said, their difference maker was out for half of the year and maybe, you know, in a sense good because he wasn't around the team when the whole COVID outbreak was getting and he might be one of the freshest looking guys on the ice next year when the Canucks come into play. But yeah, the Canucks really just didn't have a difference maker and they were looking for it all year because some games it would be Bo Horvat, some games it would be Elias Patterson, Brock Besser, Thatcher Demko, Nils Hoglander. Every single night for the Oilers, it was Connor McDavid. Every single night for the Habs, it was Tyler Toffoli. Every single night for the Leafs, it was Austin Matthews. So I I really do think that, you know, that difference maker really does put an effect there. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Toffoli has done exceptionally well with the Montreal Canadiens. Maybe he doesn't do as well with the surrounding cast in Vancouver but I'm still sure he puts up a ton of goals and he's definitely better than what Jake Vertanen brought to the lineup this year. Now Vertanen's gone for the foreseeable future, probably forever. Um, like, of course you couldn't see that that was going to happen, but you have to assume that Tyler Toffoli is the better hockey player, which he is. And I think we all knew that at the time. Uh, and he's shown that with Montreal. It's clear that Tyler Toffoli can still contribute in this league. And if the Canucks had Toffoli, Maybe this isn't a conversation we're having today. Um, I think with all that that's gone on with COVID, we probably still are having this conversation. But if COVID didn't happen to the Canucks and Tyler Toffoli's in the fold, you never know where this team could be because when they need a goal, I mean, if you're counting on all the guys you named and Bo Horvat, Nils Hoglander, Elias Pettersson, and sure, some of those guys have been out for extended periods of time. But if you have just another level of depth and depth scoring, Tyler Toffoli's a lot better than to throw in your lineup than, say, a Jace Howerluck.
Yeah, I agree. And you also look at what the Canucks teams have been playing in these past couple of weeks too. And they're they're they've gone through a buttload of injuries and all that this season. How their depth looks in their bottom six compared and their taxi squad and whatnot compared to other teams. Like you're looking at the Oilers, they're bringing in Kyle Turris from their taxi squad one night, and we're bringing in Tyler Grayavac. Like the the depth just wasn't there this season, and especially since COVID hit us and the Canucks can't even play a full pace National Hockey League game past the second period at this point, um, it was it was ugly to watch. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a memorable season to say the least, but the Canucks, they, they, they couldn't do much coming out of COVID. Credit to them for making it exciting for a few days, but now it's just playing out the string. And I think it's ridiculous that they still have to play these games against Calgary, um, especially considering the Canucks are going to be playing out the string against Calgary. Well, the NHL playoffs are on. Like on Sportsnet in Vancouver, it's going to be showing Canucks Calgary meaningless games while the playoffs are on. That's ridiculous. I don't care if it's not the North Division playoffs. Like the rest of the leagues competing for the Stanley Cup and the Canucks are just doing the sideshow. It seems like uh, a like a little kids tournament where you have like a loser's bracket and you have a bunch of teams playing an entire bracket that's going for ninth place that's going on at the same time as the championship bracket. You're just dejected in those games. It's ridiculous that the Canucks have to play another four games against the Flames to, to call it a season because, like, what are you going to get out of these games? Nothing. Like, maybe Jonah Gajevich gets his debut. Maybe, like, Will Lockwood gets his debut. Um, and sure, they can throw Michael DiPietro into a game if you can call him up and go through all that headache. But, like, there's really no upside to playing these games against the Flames. Like, you, you just look at... For example, Boston, a playoff team, what they did last night against the Capitals, they didn't dress their basically their their top three lines in top four D. Why would the Canucks do that? The Canucks should just call up the Comets and play a few games, give them a bit a bit of an introduction to Vancouver before they move to Abbotsford. It's just I just don't see any point in the Canucks playing these games. It's just gonna be weird to watch knowing the playoffs around at the same time. Yeah, and you talk about upside too, and obviously you said the only upside you can see coming out of these games is Jonah Gajevich playing, Will, Will Lockwood playing, or you know something, something a good storyline happening, something like that. But something that ties into the next thing that I wanted to talk about for the Canucks playing these last games is Travis Green, and you can definitely tell that he wants to play these games, and he probably wants to win him too because he has zero years left on his contract after these games are up. And I'll tell you this, the more games he wins, the more moolah he's going to see on the, the more zeros he's going to see on the end of that paycheck there. So what do you think about that? I think at this point, he's just hoping to get a paycheck and any wins and anything that he does well, whether that's another uh, percentage point on the power play on the penalty kill, uh, another few goals from, certain players um anything travis green can do positively now is going to benefit him because he's still fighting for a contract which is ridiculous and the canucks aren't going to get a cheap coach unless they go for a beginner coach and this team isn't at the stage where to bring in a rookie head coach and um yeah they, they have to resign travis green i have full faith that it's going to happen but the canucks just i don't think they exactly know what they're doing in handling this Travis Green situation because just down the I-5, you have the Seattle Kraken who made their first player signing today. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking pretty keenly at Travis Green, just waiting for the Canucks to run out of time per se and uh, and not offer him a contract in time. And Seattle's just going to swoop right in. Sure, there's a lot of candidates out there, but if it was any of the unemployed candidates, say Mike Babcock, uh, unfortunately, or Jared Gallant, well, they'd, they'd already be hired at the Seattle Kraken. So I have to think that the guy they're going after is either Travis Green or somebody else either in an NHL job with an expiring contract or just somebody who might not be in a situation to take the job as we speak. Yeah, um, and I think for talking about Seattle too, another player that I think is getting a lot of, or not player, a coach who's getting a lot of comparisons to Green right now and he's in the same situation as Rod Brindamore um, where his contract is expiring and, you know, Seattle could also potentially be looking at him too. Their GM is uh, Ron Francis and he was the GM for Carolina for a couple years there. So, yeah, it's um, it's really. I mean, Elliot Freeman did report a, a couple days ago that Rod Brindamore is going to stick in in Carolina, which I think is mm-hmm. probably the best option, just considering that he played there. Uh, his system works there. They're one of the probably most promising teams in the league at this point. Uh, he lives on uh, Campbell Island in the summer, which is um, an island in just a few hours outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. So it, it seems like he's really made his home there, and it seems like the right situation for Rod Brindamore. Um, and it's actually sort of interesting because he, he's living on Campbell Island and he grew up in Campbell River, British Columbia. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, about the coaches too, like, you know, you, you see Green coming off his contract and, you know, you see that the Canucks are waiting and you can't help to think, but does this not remind you of last year with all the players and everything? Yeah. I mean, it certainly reminds me of last year, um, but I almost have more faith that the Canucks will get it done with, with Travis Green than they they were going to do with any of the players, just because players and coaches are well, well they're similar in terms of you have to sign them to contracts and uh, they're different because they they don't count against the cap. Like there, there's a whole bunch of things that are just different when it comes to coaches than it, when it comes to players. Uh, I also think coaches, especially a guy like Travis Green, would probably prefer to stay in their current situations than leave because there's 400 plus player jobs there's only 32 coaching jobs in the NHL. And if you're not with the one you got now, most likely you're not behind an NHL bench. So I think while some coaches are not exactly happy to be where they are, I don't think Travis Green is one of those coaches. And I could see him. I, I do see him re- resigning in Vancouver. Yeah. And he's, he's been with the Canucks uh, organization pretty much since he's started coaching pro hockey. You know, he, went to the uh, the 14-15 Calder Cup final with the Utica Comets and won it all as well that year too. So I, I also do see him staying. And at this point now, I think it's just dollar value that they have to work out. And, you know, like we said, how many zeros is he going to see at the end of his next paycheck? And how happy is he going to be with that paycheck? And is it something that he's willing to take uh, for three, four years down the road. And as well as just two of, you know, his system somewhat seems to work a little bit in Vancouver with certain players. And obviously when he came in to coach, when I think it was, uh, I don't even know who it, I think it was John Tortorella. I'm not too sure. I couldn't even. Uh, he relieved Willie Desjardins. Well, yeah, I was thinking Willie Desjardins as well. But um, yeah, uh, you, you just look at, 
the success that this team has somewhat already had under coach green obviously not the best teams but at the same time not the worst they went to game seven of round two last year well Um, i mean you got to exclude last year last year is such a a flash in the pan because they didn't play they came back they caught a bit of luck a bit of uh, lightning in a bottle and they managed to make it through a very weird tournament sort of thing in in edmonton but so I, I, you can't take that the Canucks made the second round of the playoffs. That that, it's just not, it's not true, really. It, it's sort of true, but it's not true. Um, the the Canucks have sucked under Travis Green. The Canucks have sucked under Jim Benning. Um, but I more see the problem at the top with with Jim Benning than Travis Green because all a coach can do, unless he's a coach and GM, but all a coach can do is do the best and deploy the best strategies with the players he has and to be blunt the canucks have not very good players um and that's not on travis green travis green was the one who called for travis hamannick at the end of last uh before the start of this season because he knew that there weren't any defenders that he trusted and jim benning credit to him he went out and he got travis hamannick but travis hamannick's not an nhl all-star defenseman sure sure quinn hughes is but you need some solid depth and that's not on Travis green. That's more on Jim betting. Yeah. And like I said too, earlier with the depth, you, you talk about how I've noticed that, you know, teams are calling 30 year old NHL guys off their taxi squads and the Canucks are calling 20 year olds with their rookie contracts off their taxi squads. So yeah, you obviously you, you do talk about depth and it's uh, it's something that, uh, ties in very hard to team success and as well as a coach's success too, um, just based on the depth players that he does have and what he's able to do with it too. But um, yeah, some some somewhat depth players that the Canucks called up in the past week, uh, Jonah Gadjevit and Will Lockwood, we've touched on them a bit. Um, they could make their NHL debut this year, as we said, with the the throwaway games. They very well could be playing in an NHL lineup by the end of maybe this week. Yeah, I think it, there's no downside to doing that. Uh, I know I've spoken about the downside of playing players uh, a couple of years before. Like I, I don't see much value in burning the first year of a contract. But for these guys, I do. I don't think these guys are going to be demanding major contracts when their current rookie contracts are up. Um, so, so burn those two, three, four games, uh, see what they can do. Um, at, at least it gives them a bit of experience and a bit of promise that they can put on that Canuck sweater and play in the NHL. Um, even though at this point, empty stadiums, games that don't matter, uh, it's not really the NHL as they grew up knowing it. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a weird year. And I think you know that's also why you've seen a lot of rookies you may not have heard of playing this year because, you know, a lot of coaches just want to get their rookies to put on that sweater, play in their NHL arena, play with some guys who know what the actual NHL looks like. And I think that's uh, why this year is as well a good development year too for your rookies as well because you don't have them playing all 31 teams, all 82 games, nothing like that. You have the taxi squad as well, so you don't have to send a player up and down four or five times throughout the season. You can have them on your team. Obviously, having a rookie not playing games and sitting in the press box isn't the best for his development, but 
as well as playing with an NHL team is is pretty good for his development as well. I mean, it, it, it's so situation by situation because sometimes when you put a rookie right into the NHL, they more just sort of collapse. And if you put a, a high-scoring rookie into the NHL and he's not able to be that high scorer, maybe you're turning a shooter, a sniper into just like a, a third liner sort of grinder guy. Whereas if you develop him properly and you sort of ease him into professional hockey, um, sort of like uh, the Montreal Canadiens did with Cole Caulfield, um, then he can sort of get up to speed in the AHL, get up to speed in the NHL, and eventually start contributing to your team in the way that you hoped him to. But I think, well, I think Cole Caulfield probably could have come into the NHL and thrived. There's some guys like Cole Lind. If you just threw Cole Lind from the Kelowna Rockets right into the Canucks lineup a couple of years ago, you're probably seeing a guy who can't do much offensively because he's not sort of flushed out. So he's going to revert to being defensive because being defensive is a way that he could stay in the lineup. So while it's good that the Canucks are getting these sort of development opportunities, at one point you got to say, like, come on, it's time for winning. It's not about development opportunities. And sure, heading into the last four games of the season, there's not much else you can take other than development opportunities, but it has to, it, this season had to be about winning. Uh, last off season had to be about winning and it wasn't. Yeah. I, yeah, this, this team has definitely fallen flat on their, their face this year. This season reminds me of that, that one picture everybody would always use for Montreal when their scoreboard just is like all over center ice and everything like that. And they're talking about collapse. So that's kind of what this, uh, this season has reminded me of, but um, yeah, you, you talk about, Cole Lynn, you know, if you would have thrown him into the lineup versus if you would have thrown Cole Caulfield into the lineup and who would have thrived better and whatever. I it it really it I think, you know, especially for those those late second round guys. Cole Caulfield's like, a better hockey player than Cole Lynn. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. You can even tell that by, like I said, their draft position. But um at the same time, too, it's like, you know are you going to be happy with that player when he develops? Because there's a lot of times where you develop a player, he's looking like what he gets, like a, a Patrick Line type of situation where he was pretty much everything the Winnipeg Jets could have wanted. He just didn't like Winnipeg that much. I don't blame him. Um, Winnipeg is not a very nice city. Um, I mean, it's surprisingly sort of coming from Finland. You'd think you'd be almost used to some of the cold that you get in Winnipeg, but Winnipeg winters get down to minus 40. It's unbearable. I mean, Columbus isn't a great city in itself, but it doesn't get down to a point where you just get frostbite when you stand outside. The Canucks don't really have uh, Patrick Liney, though. They, they, they have Brock Besser. Um, and I think the Canucks, what they do well is the players who come in generally like uh, the Canucks and generally like living in Vancouver. I'm sure we've seen some aggravation from a guy like JT Miller uh, this year. But I also think just the situation that's sort of been going on this year with the entire league and the Canucks and having to follow protocols and everything like that, um, you don't really have that time to sort of get away and get your head away from hockey. Um, and that has probably sort of raised the aggravation levels of a lot of people. But I can't really remember a situation where a player just didn't want to play in Vancouver other than Pavel Bure. Um, but generally, the Canucks have been able to sort of retain players and make players want to play in the city. And while that's on the Canucks, that's also on Vancouver, the community around Vancouver. Um, and, and so that's a positive. And the Canucks have an advantage in that. 
where they don't have an advantage is incompetent management. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, obviously, you know, you've seen that even in this decade before the, the Benning era started with the end of the Mike Gillis era and Luongo saying that his contract sucks and Kessler wanting to be traded and, you know, just the whole dismantlement of that, of that 2011 team definitely shows the, the dark side to uh, Vancouver and, and being in there. But um, another thing I wanted to touch on or talk about uh, here is something we talked about earlier, and it's the the Canada uh, World Championship roster. It was released today, and oh my stars, does it look bare? Um, Connor Brown is their first round or their first line center, and uh, Owen Power is one of their top four defensemen. So that's what you need to know about. Well, this well team. I mean, if if you're looking at say the the TSN graphic, it it's in um, it's in alphabetical order, so it's not necessarily like that. Um, and I, I like I I would assume Gabe Velarde's in in the lineup. I would assume Brandon Peary probably in the lineup because Liam Foody versus Brandon Peary. I think probably Brandon Peary's a bit better, just a bit older and w- with some more experience. Um, but yeah, it, it's not fantastic, and usually you'd see a much better lineup going to the World Championships. But the fact the World Championships is even happening this year is fantastic i would have also liked to see the women's world championships happen but they didn't and the ihf clearly favors men's hockey but we'll leave that topic to uh, another time um yes it's a bare roster but it's still an nhl roster um and probably a, a team that's not making the playoffs in the nhl if you threw all these guys together but what were you sort of asking for the a lot of these players have just come off of a treacherous season where they've been playing the second part of the season without much hope of making the playoffs. And now it's this. So you, you, there's a lot of players who probably didn't want to go into a sort of bubble situation. And I think say the mate, if the Maple Leafs get bumped in the first round, I don't think Mitch Marner is going to want to join the team because of sort of just the situation they've been in this year with all the protocols. So credit to these guys for wanting to go for wanting to represent their country. Um, but it is going to be a headache. They're entering a pretty strict bubble uh, when they get over to Latvia. Yeah, and, you know, I think it was, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of Canucks that also were rumored to be asked to play for that team, and they denied. But as well as, you know, you look at uh, what Patrick Laine has said recently, and he was offered a spot on the team, and he didn't take it, and he came out and just said he's just sick of hockey right now after this season, you know, obviously (laughs) – uh, different uh, kind of situation for Patrick Line to compare him to some other players, but it has been a tough season for everyone. But yeah, you, you I, I don't blame him either. I would be sick of playing too, especially with the season that he's had this season and what he's had going on in the past as well. Um, yeah, I, I really don't blame Patrick Line for not going. And I think that the same can go with a lot of players. I mean, you look at, like even Bo Horvat, he's gone through uh, an exceptional season, like just unexpected, like unreasonable what he's had to go through. Why would he want to go travel and play for Canada in a tournament where you're not really making any money? It's more just for pride. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't blame a lot of these guys for wanting to skip out on the world championships because the won the world championships this year. They're not going to be in front of fans. So it's not going to be like you get to experience a nice European city. You don't get to experience the fans. There's re- It's really just going and playing hockey. And 
what have they been doing for the last six months? And in the bubbles last year, they've just been going and playing hockey. I would much rather leave the protocols uh, of the NHL and just live life as a citizen where there's still protocols and things that you're supposed to follow, but it's a lot less strict than what they've had to follow in the NHL. And so I don't blame guys for wanting to sort of take that weight off their shoulders and just be done with hockey for a little bit because they, they need an off season last year. They didn't really have an off season. They sort of had two half off seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just such a, it's a confusing time right now for hockey and, you know, we're anxious for this, this COVID bull, bullshit to be over here pretty quick, yeah. but um, yeah, it's like you said, you know, we didn't really have an off season last year. We kind of had one big fat off season mixed in with two months off or so. And um, yeah, I, I also, like we said, we, I don't blame these guys whatsoever. You have, like you said, Bo Horvat, who has a newborn son as well. And I bet going over to Riga Latvia probably wouldn't be too well in health aspects or for just family matters when it comes to that. So, um, you know, we've, we've said it a lot on here. It's more than just a game. And now the world championships have, and players missing out have brought a, another reason for us to say that. Yeah, I mean, I'm still looking forward to watching these world championships. I think international hockey is fantastic, and the rules that they play with international hockey brings out the best in a lot of players. But the Canadian team probably isn't going to be too exciting to watch this year. I'm excited to see a team like the Swedish team because you always get a lot of very good players from the SHL. Um, but the Canadian team, I just and the Americans for that matter, are just not going to be too special this year. Yeah, and as well for this tournament too, you um, you could see a lot of guys who are sleepers to make the 2022 Olympic team uh, be on this team and show what they can do while they have that that maple leaf on their chest. You know, it's obviously probably one of the biggest, not if the biggest uh, honor to take on as a Canadian athlete to have a have the Canadian symbol on your chest for uh, for any sport. And, you know, I think that it does, like you said, brings the best out of a lot of players, not only the rules they play with, but again, just having your country symbol sitting on your chest there and getting it, uh, to play for that team. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at Canada and if the NHL is properly going to the Olympics, I don't think really any of these players are on that Olympic roster just because the Canadian Olympic roster, if it has the full strengths of every Canadian hockey player, is a very good roster. This is not a very good roster. Um, sure, today's Canada hockey announcement of the women's Olympic roster is missing a lot of big names. I don't think we're going to see that with the men, um, just because men's hockey is in a very different situation than women's hockey. So while it is, it can be seen as almost Olympi an Olympic trial, Michael DiPietro is not making the Olympic team in a million years. Um, Brandon Peary is not making the uh, Olympic team in a million years. I mean, save this podcast. Tell me I'm wrong when when both of them make the Olympic team uh, next January. But I mean, this tournament is more just a standalone tournament. Well, it should have been a sort of a trial for the Olympics with some of the top players. Like I think if Bo Horvat went, it's a real trial for him to make team Canada. Um, that's not the case uh, with the roster that they're bringing over to Latvia. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, again, just all we can really say is it's it's really confusing, but at the same time, too, I think it's also a good, you know, way to put a, a lot more Canadian players out there, too. And, you know, a lot of guys could even earn themselves contracts who are 
up at the end of the year and aren't looking, you know, like a lot of teams want to sign them, you do talk about a lot of what players have been able to do for their respective countries. Obviously, sometimes we are a lot. We still talk about what Cole Caulfield did for the U.S. national development team, scoring 70 or so goals that one season. We talk about past Olympic teams, what players have done. So I think for exposure for these players, it's good because having your country's symbol on your chest is definitely a, an eye-opener for GMs. I also think one of the people who could take something away from this tournament is uh, Gerard Glant, who's going to be coaching this tournament because he hasn't coached uh, in all, all, just over a year, I think. Um, so he has a, an opportunity to sort of show that he can still coach a team. And if, say, they win the gold medal with this team or even make the final, that's exceeding expectations, I would say, with with this roster that they have. So if he can do that, maybe he wets the palate of an NHL team to, to give him a, an offer. Maybe even the Canucks could take a look at Jared Glant. Um, I don't think it would be the right move, but it is something that could happen uh, if he shows well at the World Championships and does something beneficial with Team Canada. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's um, it's going to be a well-looked-at tournament, too, I'd say, because, you know, there's also going to be that anxious, uh, that anxiousness to even play an international game because there hasn't been international hockey played since, well, the, the U18s, but on a stage like this since probably the World Juniors uh, in uh, at the end of 2020 there. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a fun, exciting tournament to finally see some international hockey played at a, a very high stage again. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see one of the senior world championships go ahead. I think it is a real disservice that they didn't play. They're not playing the women's world championships at the at the time that they originally had scheduled. Um, and there was no backup plan for that. They're playing them in August and it looks like it'll probably be in Calgary now. But uh, I think Nova Scotia deserves the tournament. Um the IHF should have made a way to make it happen in Nova Scotia. Um, but the IHF clearly doesn't appreciate women's hockey as much. You, I mean, you just look like the women's hockey under 18s were canceled yet. The men's under 18s and world juniors forged ahead. That makes no sense to, to me. So you, it's going to be nice to see a level of senior national team hockey back, but uh, it almost feels a little, uh, dirty watching the men because you know that the IHF really doesn't care about the other side of the sport. Yeah. And you also said too about the, I haven't had a chance to look at the women's roster yet for the, uh, the championship, but you said that there was a lot of names missing on there as well. Can you just touch on that? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the woman's roster is missing a lot of names. I mean, one of the ones that I would have liked to see on the roster is Mikayla Grant Mentis. She hasn't really gotten a chance with team Canada, but she's one of the only ones who is actively playing in a league. She's playing with the Toronto six and the NWHL uh, and all the rest of them are playing in the PWHPA, which has barely had any sports this season. So, and that's the professional women's hockey players association, which formed after the Canadian women's hockey league folded. I would have liked to see Mikhail Grant at least get invited to the camp. Um, but I mean, there's some players, Jocelyn LaRock, um, who were Megan, uh, Laura Fortino players who were on the, Olympic team in the last two Olympic games on every world championship team, every uh, rivalry series team. And they're not there, especially Laura Fortino. I don't really understand why, why she was left off. Maybe there's something 
more behind that. But Laura Fortino is a fantastic hockey player. And sure, she's in the PWHBA and hasn't played for a while, but she's better than a lot of the players who made that roster. So, um, or at least the preliminary roster. So I hope that they find a way to fix this and to send what I think would be the best roster to Beijing. Um, but I also would have liked to see a, a bit of a glance given to an NWHL player in Mikhail Grantmentis where hockey Canada generally doesn't look at the NWHL as a viable option for women's hockey. Yeah. And um, I, I also think that for uh, the IHF looking at women's hockey too, the fact that the Toronto six have been added to the league is um, a great uh, thing to do because, you know, they only had strictly uh, American teams. I believe it was six or seven that they had before they added the Toronto six. And yeah, it's, um, it's like you said, it's a little bit disappointing to see some players left off, but at the same time, you know, you look at the new PWPHA that was brought in this year. And I thought you would have definitely seen a, a crap load of players, maybe even a whole roster on one of these on uh, Canada or the USA here, because, you know, you, you, you look at almost what the PWPHA was able to do this year. And it was a lot better than a lot of people were expecting it to turn out. I mean, they were able to put on a couple showcase events at, uh, at Madison square garden. Um, but and they're going to be putting on a few in Canada as well in Calgary. Um, but the PWHPA, it's not a league. It's just a group of players sort of playing together, hoping that the NHL steps in to fund a league, a proper women's league at some point. Whereas the NWHL, it's a legitimate league. And they had a bubble tournament uh, first in Lake Placid, and then that bubble burst with COVID. And they managed to do the playoffs uh, in Boston. And Mikhail Gramentis was the MVP of the league. If the U.S. is naming players to their national team from the NWHL who weren't the MVP of the league, why wouldn't Canada at least give a give a look to Mikhaila Gramantis, invite her to to training camp, and see whether she can make it? Um, if she gen- just didn't make it after training camp, okay, I trust that there was a legitimate process behind that, but she should have at least gotten a look uh, in my books, and I. I know I'm not the only one who thinks that Mikhail Grant should get a look with Hockey Canada, but Hockey Canada and the women's national side is run by people who more side with the PWHPA and women's hockey is very divisive at the moment. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be an interesting summer worth of hockey and definitely a lot of eyes are going to be glued to that screen for the women's hockey championship. I know mine most definitely will be. I'll be watching all those games, watching all the uh, the World Championship games. But um, for this week, I believe that is all we have uh, to bring to you. Uh, I want to thank Ben for once again joining me for a podcast. And we will see everyone next week. Thank you for listening.